Morning, church. Glad to be with you here this morning. We are in the second week of this series, and let me begin this Sunday with uh, uh, stating our mission statement, hopefully familiar to some, inviting people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus in order to make and mobilize disciples, followers of Jesus, students of Jesus, to reach our community and our world. Those are our words, I guess, but really reflective of what we find uh, in the New Testament. Everything that we do as a church, or I aspire to do, everything that we do, really is captured in that one statement, right? To make disciples, to invite, to make, uh, and to mobilize. But it begins, which is where I am this morning, with inviting. So I'm going to talk about uh, in the few minutes I have today. We'll look at a piece of this mission statement over the next two weeks, invite today, make, and mobilize. Central to the idea of inviting, that's a lot to that. We invite people not only to consider Christianity or consider a relationship with Jesus, but inviting them to go deeper, right? The whole act of discipleship is an invitation, as Jesus says, you know, pick up your cross and, and follow me kind of a thing. But the central to the invite is a genuine love for the spiritually lost, if I can use that term. I mean a genuine love for the spiritual lost. Even this morning, you know, we're celebrating, of course, the centennial. I got here about seven this morning, and I, I've done this a little bit over the last two weeks, but I decided to just take, you know, 10 minutes and walk through those um, uh, pillars out there, which are just a summary of the history. And, you know, even though I'm the pastor, I'm just a, I'm a you know, I'm, a, I'm here for a season. You know what I mean? I mean, this church is so much bigger than me and will be beyond me. And it was just humbling and, and beautiful just to walk through and appreciate um, the history that I walked into, you know, uh, some years ago. And that I am a part of, and much of what you see, and that's not everything to be told, Really, whether it's talking about churches, Jason mentioned this, that this church helped either start or pray for, whatever, you know, Parrington, uh, Pittsburgh, Webster, Chinese Church, etc. They're mentioned out there. Missionaries, missionary work. A lot of the efforts, most of the efforts that you will see on those highlighted pillars all are related, in a sense, to reaching people near and far, who don't know Christ as their Savior, the spiritually lost. That's what we are all about. But let me say this. We don't love uh, people so we can share our faith with them, right? Like it's, a, like it's a, a formula. We share our faith with people because we genuinely love them. At least that's the idea, right? Falling in love with people, caring about their hearts and their lives. We want the lost in our lives to experience the love and grace that we have experienced, if you've experienced it, in your own relationship with God. So I want to look at the first piece of our mission uh, this morning from a passage in Matthew's gospel where Jesus, you might say, in the history of the gospel of Matthew, and anyway, or the record of the, the gospel of Matthew, Jesus takes a first big step, not so much for him, but for the church, into, um, let's call it, you know, new territory into you know, forbidden territory when the first Gentile, anyway, is a recipient of healing from Jesus. I have a copy of the Bible, Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13, in a message titled, All In Invite. Jesus and his disciples, Matthew 5, excuse me, 8, verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, Roman soldier, 
and asked for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and, one, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, the disciples, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Let it be done just as you believed it would and his servant was healed at that moment. All in invite. What can we learn from this passage about our own challenge, our own moment? First thing is Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, your Savior, if he's yours, will go anywhere he's invited. Okay? Jesus will go anywhere he's invited. This healing, it's the first one. There's been many, but I mean the first one it's all intentional on Jesus' part, right? It's almost like saying, you know, you have a party and you, know, and, and you invite the people you like. There's another parable about that. And then all of a sudden someone walks in that's, you know, the guy you hate, the girl you hate, if, you know, the, you're, you're the guy who took your girlfriend in high school, whatever the case may be. You know, I mean, it's like, who invited you? And this is one of those moments. When Jesus does something, um, healing's okay, but who gets healed is, is a different story. But what Jesus does here, which is a shocking thing, by the way, friends, I, I, you've got to read the Bible slowly and see the story unfold. What Jesus says in verse 10 and following, these are not soft words. He says, listen, I'm going to commend somebody here, and the person I'm going to commend is not Jewish. He's not one of the 12. He's not an apostle. He's a Roman soldier from the occupying force that everybody that follows me that's Jewish doesn't like. And I'm not only saying hello to him. I'm not only saying I want to go to his house. I'm saying this guy right now has greater faith than you do. And by the way, many more people just like him are going to come from the east and the west. That is not Israel. <laughs> and they're going to be a part of this great party we're going to have in the kingdom of heaven. But this, that's, that's meant to be shocking. But the healing, Jesus knows what he's doing, they don't. It points forward to where this gospel ends. So far, hanging out with Gentile people is an unusual moment, stepping over a line. But you know, we all know where this ends, or many of us do. The Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. When Jesus rises from the dead, a lot of Things happen in the hearts and minds of people even after that, but they're, they're, they're coming to a greater appreciation of what this is all about. But Jesus says to his disciples then, right? Just 20 chapters later, he says, listen, now I want you guys to do this. Go into all the world and make disciples, wait for it, of Jewish people, of all nations, every last one of them. So Jesus is simply pointing his, showing his hand of where this is all going. Listen, inclusion of all peoples was central to the covenant originally made way back in Genesis chapter 12. Because you might, sometimes Jesus is, this seems very shocking. It's not the only example, this is just the first one. Jesus stepping over the line, so to speak. But it shouldn't have been shocking. 
Because where this all started, when I say this, I'm talking about the whole idea of the nation of Israel. Genesis chapter 12. This is where it started. There was no thing called Jewish people. There wasn't Jewish blood. It was just one guy that God picked out because of his heart, not because of his DNA. And he said, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Are you in? Yes. And then he said this, the Abrahamic covenant. Genesis 12. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. It's not even going to be called Israel for three more generations, but that's who it was. And he said, listen, I'm going to bless those who bless you and wait for it. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Your name was Abram. Now I'm going to be called Abraham, which means father of many nations. So this goes all the way back to the beginning. And by the way, even if you go all the way to the end, to the book of Revelation, where this whole grand story ends, guess what? It's people from every tongue, every nation, every tribe, everybody. And it's even forecast in the book of Isaiah. You see the end there. So listen, the people of God should not have been surprised at all. But here's what happened. Happens to us too. Between the grand beginning in Genesis 12 and the forecasted end in Revelation uh, chapters 21 and 22, the people of God decided somehow, maybe it didn't happen in one day, maybe it didn't happen in one generation. They said, listen, the blessings of God, the calling of God, we're going to keep it to ourselves. We don't like those kinds of people. That's what happened. In this, is, this moment, as small as it may seem in one sense, where Jesus says to this Roman soldier, listen, you want me to come to your house? I'll come and heal you. This healing was a challenge to the people of God right down to their core. Okay? You should read verses 10 and 11 like a kick in the stomach. Okay? It challenges them to the core. Gentiles, by the way, this guy's a Roman soldier, he's a Gentile, non-Jew. Also the occupying force. Every street corner in Israel had some of these guys standing there with a rifle uh, or whatever, a sword, or what, not a rifle, okay, but a sword, okay. That uh, was a test, see if you were sleeping, you know. No rifles uh, 2,000 years ago. But anyway, the point is they were there and they were, they were despised people. They were keeping the Jewish people from living the freedom of the free kind of life that they wanted to live. But see, Gentiles, like this guy, they were barred from the inner life of Israel. Many of you know that. What do I mean by that? In the great temple, which represented the, which was the worship system of Israel, it's this beautiful, gorgeous temple. And when you walked in it, if you were a Gentile, you could go in the outer court, kind of a dirt floor. But all the great action happened in the inner court. All the action and even the forgiveness of sin was transacted in the inner court and the Gentiles couldn't go in. And there was a big sign there that said, basically, go no further if you're not Jewish. Imagine, would you go to Wegmans if it said, I'm Italian-American, I mean, fill in the blank. It's color of your skin, you know, you're a woman, you're a man, you're, you're short, whatever. No further. Who would want to go to a place like that? But that's what it was like for a Gentile. Listen, Jews, as you read your New Testament, they would not associate, if, if, a, if a Gentile invited you over to dinner and they were the nicest person in the world and you were a neighbor, you, you wouldn't go. And I'm not just talking about bigoted people. The 12 disciples wouldn't go. If you're a note taker, write Acts chapter 10. They wouldn't even go because they thought they were honoring God by keeping their distance from people that weren't Jewish but they apparently didn't read Genesis chapter 12. Say, so this is what Jesus is doing here. 
and Jesus' words and his actions by saying to this soldier, listen, hey, shall I come and heal him? Do you want me not only to heal your servant, do you want me to come into your home? Jesus' actions and words are not only shocking to the people that he's around, I'm talking about his followers, they're double-edged. What do I mean by that? In the words that we just read, verses 10 and 11, Jesus not only says, listen, friends, the outsiders are in, right? The outsiders are in. This guy, yes, he's a Roman soldier. Yes, he's from the the occupying uh, forces. Yes, he can't go to church with you anyway, but the outsider's in. But then the other side of the message comes. Some of you think you're on the inside. You're out. That's what he's saying. People will come from the east and the west. What does that mean? all from different places, different countries. And they'll sit at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the beautiful wedding banquet at the end of all time. And some of you who've been coming to church your whole life, some of you think because you have a certain skin color or a certain you know, religious uh, pedigree, because of whatever it is that you think you've kept you in, you thought you were an insider, you will be thrust out. You're not only gonna be sitting in the back, that's not what he says, like you sit in the back. He says, you will be cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow, okay, this was a shock meant to be a shock. Jesus is trying to teach us something. And listen, it's for the church. This is in the Gospels. It's a staggering reversal of expectations that represented a radical rethinking of what it means to be the people of God. In what Jesus is attacking here, by the way, this is an attack of a kind. He's not attacking the Jewish nation. He's not saying, I don't want anything to do with Jewish people. No, because the whole church later on, the book of Acts is mostly Jews. It's fair start. He's not attacking the Jewish nation. Listen, he's not attacking the church either, although there's a message here for the church. What Jesus is attacking here is a possessiveness, an exclusiveness of any religious community that's too sure of itself. That's what he's attacking. Be careful. You think you're in, maybe you're not. We need to ask ourselves, church, Christian, friends, this text wants to know if we really believe in the gospel or we merely belong to this church or think we belong to the church. Many of you have heard this story, maybe. The great Tony Campolo, still alive and well in the area of Philadelphia, pastor, writer, uh, professor, wrote a book in the early 90s um, called The Kingdom of God is a Party. And it was, he, he had an experience, an invite experience, that so impacted his life he wrote a book. And here's the story in a nutshell. He's, he's in Honolulu, speaking in Honolulu. He's a speaker, still is, in his mid-80s, um, traveling around. And he's there, but his body clock's all messed up because he's from Philadelphia. It's 2.30 in the morning. He's wide awake, wants to get something to eat. So he goes to, a, you know, this greasy spoon diner that happens to be right next to his hotel. He walks in. There's almost the only person in there. But about half an hour later, in walks a grand full of women. He can sense, guesses they're prostitutes. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. They kind of look the part. And he just sits down. There's the only ones in the restaurant. He's listening to them. And all of a sudden, this one girl says something. Her name's Agnes. And she says, in front of the girls, just having a good time and having something to eat. And she says, tomorrow's my 39th birthday. And they start joking with her. Oh, it's your birthday. We're going to throw you a party, Agnes. And she says, listen. She gets real serious. So he says in the book. And she says, um, don't throw me a party. No, I've never had a birthday party my whole life. And Tony Campolo says, as soon as I heard those words, I said, I immediately knew what I needed to do. 
and they left. He walked up to the guy at the, you know, the cast register, the, the owner's name was Harry. He said, Harry, those women come in here often? He said, every night, like clockwork. He told him the story. He said, what do you think about throwing Agnes a birthday party tomorrow? And Harry said, that sounds great. That's fine. And he went and got his wife, who was the cook, and she said, I'll make a cake. And, and so 2.30 the next morning, he shows up, and they decorate this whole greasy spoon diner with birthday you know, stuff, and, and his wife bakes the cake, and in walks Agnes. And, but by then, the place is full. Apparently, the word got out through his wife to the ladies of the Honolulu. You know, The place is full of people of all these women. And uh, she walks in, she sees it, they say happy birthday, the cake, the whole nine yards, she's crying, it's unbelievable. And then she says something sort of strange, she says, Harry, I don't think she even knows who Tony Campolo is, she says, Harry, this is so beautiful, but he's about to cut the cake, because I don't want to cut the cake, because it's just so beautiful, I just want to take it home, it's like I don't want to ruin it. And he laughs. He goes, well, it's your cake. Do whatever you want with it. So she takes it home. And in that moment, Tony Campos says, no, I think, I don't know what to do. So he said, he stood up, introduced himself. You know, there's 30, 40 people in the restaurant, whatever it was. And he said, listen, why don't we just stand up and pray for Agnes? So they prayed, prayed for her. He said, I prayed for her salvation. And then he was finished. Now for the book. When I was finished, Harry, the owner of this little diner, leaned over the counter with a trace of hostility in his voice. And he said, hey. You never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? In one of those moments when just the right words came, I answered, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. (laughs) Harry waited a moment and then almost sneered as he answered, No, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. I'd join a church like that. Well, Campolo said, That's the kind of church Jesus came to create, okay? That's the kind of church Jesus came to create. Here's the point. Jesus will go anywhere he's invited, to the home of a Gentile, to a party for tax collectors and sinners. Listen, to the recesses of your heart, that's where it starts, and the recesses of my heart. And listen, if you're a Christ follower, I don't know if everybody is, but in this room, if you're a Christ follower, he's in you. Will you go anywhere that you're invited? That's the point. Jesus will go anywhere he's invited. Second thing, there is nothing this passage teaches us about this great truth that Jesus can't do if we truly believe in his word. Okay? If we truly believe. It's, it's remarkable, it's supposed to be, that this officer, who's an important guy, the, the, the important, we think the important person in this story is Jesus because we're Christians and we're reading the Bible for 2,000 years. But the important person historically in this, in this drama, the person with the power is not Jesus Christ. I mean, the, let's say political, civil power. It's the Roman soldier. For this guy to actually uh, talk or, or to address a socially insignificant person which is what Jesus would be, again, in this scenario, was, was, was surprising in the first place in a humble way to ask Jesus for help. Yet he witnessed an authority in Jesus that even his own people didn't see. Now, what is this whole little thing about, you know, well, I have authority, blah, 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 and I know. What is he trying to say? He's making his point. Tell him, let me tell you why I'm admiring Jesus. I'm not admiring Jesus because I read the Old Testament. I think he's the Messiah. I'm not a religious-going guy. I'm a church-going guy. I don't know anything about this guy, but I happen to be stationed in Capernaum, 
Over 100 people, that's what centurion means. This is my jurisdiction, and I have watched this guy do his thing. In fact, in chapter 4, there was all kinds of healings. So he said, I've seen it, and I know something about authority. In my sphere of authority, he had a sphere of authority. There was 100 men that followed him. What I, when my little sphere of authority, I know this. When I say do it, they do it. When I say come, they come. When I say go, they go. I understand how authority works within my sphere of authority. What I saw happen the last several weeks as the cop in, in Capernaum was this, that the authority of this guy, Jesus Christ, might, must at least be all the sick and diseased people in the world because I've seen him heal people of all kinds. Read chapter 4. So he said, I don't have a background. I don't have any promise. I don't have any guarantee. I don't, what, but I'll tell you what, I've seen this guy exercise this kind of authority. I understand authority, so I'm going to bring my friend to him. And then he even says this, which is shocking. This is what gets Jesus' commendation. He said, listen, Jesus, I know you're Jewish. I know you're a rabbi. It's not my thing, but I've been in this town long enough, in this country long enough to know that we're not you know, welcome in, in, in the Jewish system, in the Jewish worship. So listen, you don't even have to bother coming to my house. You don't have to meet my friend. You don't have to walk through the threshold of my house. All you need to do is say the word because I saw you do it with other people. But what Jesus says in response to this guy, you know, the heart of this passage in a sense, truly I tell you, and I've not seen this kind of faith with anyone. This is not a praise to this man, primarily. It's, in other words, this guy doesn't need a, a, a faith badge because that's not his background, right? If he was given him a military honor, that'd be one thing. Jesus' words were not meant so much as an accolade to this guy. They were meant as a stinging rebuke to the church that was following him. Because Jesus is saying, listen, you guys didn't even think that I should even be talking to a guy like this. And yet this guy gets me better than you do. Right? That's what he's saying. I haven't seen this kind of faith with anyone in Israel that would include the 12 apostles. This guy gets me better than you do is what Jesus is saying. Now listen, he, this guy didn't have any promises about healing sick people. We know he wants Jesus' help, but all he does, he just presents the need. He just comes, he says, uh, Lord, can I have your attention for a minute? I have a sick friend. Jesus takes it from there. He, he doesn't know this is going to happen. He's got no guarantee. He's got no chapter and verse. Nothing says in any document that he has that says, listen, there's a guarantee. If I find Jesus and say X, Y, and Z, he'll heal my friend. He just says, I've seen him do and I'm coming. But here's the difference between him and you and me, if you're a Christian. When it comes to, let's, now let's change the subject or narrow it to our subject here, which is reaching people who are far from God, which is kind of the subject here, but as we own that as our piece of the mission, to invite people, friends, neighbors, relatives, people you work with, golfing buddies, drinking buddies, whatever the case may be, the people in your life. We do have promises. Let me give you a couple quickly, if we cared to claim them in a manner of speaking. 1 Timothy 2, this is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants, we'll slow down, all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Is that true of your brother, sister, 
uncle, friend, neighbor, etc. It is if you believe God's word. 2 Peter 3. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Why is God taking his time? Why doesn't he end this mess? Instead, he's patient with you. Why? Because he's interested in the lost people in the world. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, you and I do have promises. But let me say this very quickly. It's not name it and claim it. That, that religion's out there. That teaching's out there all over the, the highways and airwaves. Uh, it's, it's baloney. It's not name it and claim it. Uh, that's, not, we, we don't, that's not how our faith works. It must be birthed in you by a disciplined relationship with God's word. This guy's an example, but if you really want to have a conviction about God's word, that God says it and it happens, you have to dig a little deeper. John 15, 7, the words of Jesus. If you remain in me, big if, and my words remain in you, then and only then, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. See, some of us have a very under-realized faith. We, we, we hardly pray for our own kids, more or less lost people around us, because we have a very weak relationship with the word of God. Okay? And Jesus says, this guy who didn't even go to church had a stronger faith, understood me better than you did. The point of this story is Jesus honors faith and he's looking for it in your life. That's what gets him amped up. In fact, this is the only time, verse 10, in the entire New Testament where the verb amazed is not attached. Jesus is is the subject, not the object. In most cases, happens all the time. Jesus walks on water. Jesus heals. Jesus feeds. They're amazed. They're amazed. They're amazed. This guy does amazing stuff. This is the only time where it says, what amazes Jesus? When people are willing against all odds to know who he is and believe in his word. That's what amazes him. And he's looking for it in your life and in my life. The point is this. We do not, I'm talking about you and me. This message is for the church. We do not believe as we should. And this is the real reason we don't pray for more lost friends in our lives or actively seek to invite people into our lives and into the church. There is nothing that Jesus can't do if you truly believe in his word. Okay? Last point in application. Jesus honors our faith on behalf of those who don't yet share it, as if this story couldn't get any richer or more challenging. Jesus honors our faith on behalf of those who don't yet share Share it, okay? This whole thing's about a challenge to the disciples to have a greater love and pursuit for lost people. The guy who was the recipient of this healing, never, as far as we know, never met Jesus. This guy probably couldn't pick Jesus out of a crowd. He was the servant, maybe even a slave, but he was the servant of this unnamed centurion who happened to be sick. Um, We don't know anything about his faith. Jesus Christ never met him. But see, this is how it starts. But he was the recipient 
of Jesus' power. Last verse. Then Jesus said to the centurion, here's the message. Go and let it be done just as your friend believed. No. Go and let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed from that moment. This is one of the most important texts in all the Bible. And what's called intercessory prayer. What does that word mean? It's just a fancy word that means interceding, that you and I are called to intercede, to pray on behalf of other people who do not know Christ as their Savior. That's what everything out in, those, in, those, in that lobby is really all about. That's what this church, listen, if, the, if every person knew Christ as their Savior, every person that was ever going to know Christ as their Savior happened, this whole mess would be over. we get out of here and be done. That's the whole point of the church. It is the point of your life. See, it takes time when we become a Christian. We don't realize it. But the day you became a Christian, you got a whole new purpose for living. And this is it. Right? It's interceding for people. You don't have to get on a plane to do that. You don't need to be super sophisticated to do that. The woman at the well, we talked about that. She didn't know zip. She said, come meet a man who told me everything I ever knew. Could he be the Messiah? There's not a person in this room that couldn't do that if you wanted to. I went to a funeral last Sunday, one week ago today. Uh, by permission, I share this quick story. John Baker, Colleen Baker, good friends. Many of you know them. Been here for a long time. John's dad was probably in, I think is in his early 80s. Um, and uh, uh, he, he had become a Christian as a young adult. So he didn't grow up in a Christian home, I don't believe. But he, his, he came to faith through this organization called Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Some of you know it's an outreach organization that reaches out to athletes. Bob was an athlete. His, his professional career was coaching basketball in high school and college. And uh, so, because, but because of how he became a Christian, as a, as a young adult through athletics, that was his passion. And at the end of this funeral, it was all very honoring, as you can imagine, uh, uh, this service was family and friends. One of his best friends got up and closed the service, closed the end of the service. And he said, Listen, I'm so and so, but I've known Bob since we were in the eighth grade. And let me just, I want to share one last thing with you. Many of you know it's already been said that Bob had a strong commitment to his faith in Jesus Christ. But the last 15 years-ish of Bob's life, in retire, semi-retirement and ultimately retirement, he lived just a stone's throw from the, Elm, uh, the Alfred Allman High School. I drove by it when we left. And he said he would spend 30 minutes every day, almost every day, seven days a week, walking the track that was his Exercise, And he said he carried in his pocket, and he pulled one out, had writing on it, a, a three-by-five card with names of people he was praying for for various reasons, including people that he'd met who um, he was praying for them to receive Christ as his Savior. And then he said this. I'm not, gonna, I'm not pointing anybody out. The, the room was packed, this, this church. He said, I know, because I've known Bob and we're best buddies, there are people in this room right now who are here because at one point in the last 15 years, your name was on this list. Okay? It doesn't happen overnight. Jesus will go anywhere he's invited. Jesus is in you, will you? There's nothing Jesus can't do. Listen, friends, it's not about you. Is, is Bob going to be written up on some great pillar in some church some year? Probably not. He's not Billy Graham. He's not Hudson Taylor. But he did what he could. Okay? He went and he said, every day I'm going to pray for people, whether I like them or not, whether they're my kind of people or not. 
and he prayed for people and God used it because it's God's word that changes people's lives. Jesus honors the faith of others on our behalf. So how do we do it? Little application. How can you and I do this? How do we live out this first piece of this mission, you and me? Well, I've already told you the first way, okay? And some of you, you know, I'm looking for my... You're sophisticated. You can, you don't, okay, you don't need a three-by-five car, okay? Figure it out. There's no one in this room today, and maybe you're not a Christian. Put your name at the top, okay? Pray for yourself. But there are people in your life. Probably in, you probably wouldn't have to go past your family and your and your, and your um, golfing buddies or, or whatever. You probably don't need to go very far. Make a list and start praying and don't give up. Listen to God. Second thing, you need to um, open up your life. Your life is what it's really all about, really. People want to see behind the curtain if you're just all talk or that you really, and it doesn't mean you're perfect. There's not a person in this room that's perfect. There's not a person in this room who's not a sinner. There's not a person in this room who doesn't fail. Okay, that's not what it's about. That's not why pe- people aren't attracted to people that are perfect. Who wants to be around with them who's perfect? I mean, that would be horrible, you know, in a manner of speaking, because nobody's perfect. But they want to know people that are honest, that are authentic, that are true, and they say, listen, God is with me in my challenges and failures and struggles. And I have a God who is who's given me peace and forgiveness of sins. Let me tell you about it. One of the best things you can do is invite people into your life. I think one of the best, you know, if you want to call it an an invite strategy, the very best one I can think of is invite somebody over your house for dinner. And let me tell you something. If I can do it, I can hardly cook, you know, turkey burger, oatmeal, you know, whatever. If I can do it, you can do it. Invite them over for dinner. And I can't, and no people think that's the greatest thing, and the world one's going to say no. Because they, they're not just hearing a message, they're opening it into your life. And finally, invite them to church. You can do that too. I put that third on the list. Sometimes we think it's first because we, wanted, we, wanna, we want someone else to do our work for us. But you can invite people to church. And let me just throw this out there the month of June, if, that's, if you're ready to invite someone to church. Any old Sunday is good in my book, but I'm going to spend a whole month on one passage of Scripture. It's a conversation. At the heart of that is that very famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. John chapter three. So you can get ready to do that. And let me say this, when it comes to church, let me, we're, this, this whole series is about making, all of us make a commitment to our um, mission statement. Today's invite, next Sunday's make. Everyone ought to be in the inviting business. Everyone ought to be in the making disciple business. One-on-one. You ought to be on the giving and receiving end of that. I don't care if you've been a Christian for a month. Right? Let's go. And everyone ought to be in the mobilization business. Whether it's in C Hall, in the parking lot, 441, a local ministry, the, the far reaches of every single... This is, this is why your life and my life lack joy. Because we farmed out seven-eighths of what it means to be a Christian. This, the purpose of this series is to get all of us in the game. And so this, um, we're going to have a card we're going to hand out two weeks from today and then we're going to hand it out three weeks from today. And we're going to, the whole point of, of May the 22nd is to make a commitment. You see on here a couple big things. Invite a friend to church. That's get baptized. These are invite more to come on this um, commitment. Get ready for it. Let me close. We're going to take this, okay? 
Let me just read a verse. Same chapter. Two verses later, verse 16 of John chapter, Matthew chapter 8. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits. Now watch this. With a word and healed all the sick. Once the centurion got in the game, they said, wow, this guy even does stuff for the people on the other side of the tracks. Hello. The whole town showed up. This, now watch this. This was to fulfill. Now he's going to make some meaning out of this healing. What was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, going all the way back to, those of you who know this, the great chapter about the crucifixion of Jesus in the Old Testament, the Messiah, Isaiah 53. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. What is he saying here? It's a whole sermon in itself. The miracles of Jesus all deal with the suffering of the human race. All the miracles of Jesus, they weren't some naked demonstration of power. Jesus wasn't showing off. He was, the miracles of Jesus, including this one, are pointers. It points backwards to the way life was designed to be lived in the beginning. The Garden of Eden, let me tell you something about the, the way life God designed it. There was no pollution. There was no extortion. There was no rape. There was no hierarchy. There was no disease. There was no cancer. The miracles point to what was past, and they point to what's future. That's what Jesus is saying here. In the great banquet, when Abraham and Isaac, we know what he's talking about, Revelation 21 and 22. There's none of that junk there either. They're a pointer. And what he's saying is, listen, Jesus Christ not only died for your sins, he lived he took up our infirmities, bore our diseases. He lived for you as well. He identified with human suffering in his life. And when you and I share in this table, we are not only affirming what he's done for us if you happen to be a Christian, right? I know because of what Jesus has done, I get to go to this forever and ever place called the kingdom of God where there is no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more cancer. It's coming but I also have the opportunity today in my suffering to say there greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world and I can look my friends, look my family, look my neighbors in the face and say, God loves you too. Because if Jesus will go anywhere he's invited, I'm gonna go anywhere where I'm invited. And I'm gonna believe his word. It's not about me, it's about his word, right? Who are you praying for? Amen? Amen. On that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. Go ahead and peel off the transparent piece there, friends, if you're doing this with us here in the room at home, as Alyssa mentioned. And he said, this is my body, or it represents my body, which will be given for you, broken for you. Let's eat together. When supper was ended... He took the cup, Passover meal, passed it around. He said, this is my blood, or it represents my blood that will be shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Wow. Let's drink together. couple last things and we're done. 
as you walk out today, if you're new, some of you would know this, um, or as you leave today or at home, the first Sunday of every month we share in this table. I don't know if we've been doing this 100 years, but a lot. Uh, first Sunday of the month, but also a mercy fund, which you can give to literally in a bucket, but uh, electronically like most of us do. The mercy fund, every penny, not, you know, 79% or 93%, every penny of it goes to meeting needs, family in trouble, single dad, single mom, lost my job, etc. Um, that's what that's for. You can t- participate in that today. Second thing is Good Neighbor Day. Hope to see some of you out Saturday, 10 a.m., Rawfus Park. Just what, what's, what do you got to do? Nothing. Have fun and maybe rub elbows with the guy at your gym that you didn't know went to your gym, you know, kind of a thing. Hey, how's life? And then last, let me say this on Kim's behalf. She's not here today. If you're relatively new to Browncroft, you don't have to be brand new, but you're relatively new, just for these five weeks, so we're two in, she cooked up these great first-time gift bags. You can see them out there. I won't tell you what's in there, but it's, a, it's worth your efforts. Uh, it's a beautiful gift. That's for you, so take it. I mean, maybe there's a, a card in there that says, how can we help you grow as a Christian or something? But the point is there's a gift in there too, so grab it. Amen? All right, have a great Sunday. See you next Sunday.